The energy transition is a long and winding road, and it needs to be taken step by step. Learn more at SiemensEnergy.com. This is Barron's Live. Each weekday, we bring you live conversations from our newsrooms about what's moving the market right now. On this podcast, we take you inside those conversations, the stories, the ideas, and the stocks to watch so you can invest smarter. Now, let's dial in. Hello, and welcome to Barron's Live. I'm Barron's Associate Editor for Technology, Eric Savitz. I am very happy to have back on the show today, uh, Dan Niles, the Portfolio Manager of the Satori Fund. Um, Dan, thanks for being here again. My pleasure, Eric. Okay, we have lots to talk about, uh, as we always do. Um, so uh, I want to start with uh, uh, one basic thing, which is uh, you've had a really good run here. Your fund uh, uh, made money last year uh, in one kind of market and has been <laughs> making money this year in a very different kind of market, right? Um, yeah. And it, it kind of begs the question, um, as and presumably you could not possibly have done that with, uh, with using last year's strategy this year. <laughs> um, so let's talk a little bit about what's changed and, um, and how you've approached uh, kind of resetting your thinking on the market. So I think last year, if you think about it, we started the year and people were thinking, ah, you know, no Fed raise rates, rate increases. And as you go through the year, you're like, oh my God, we're going to have to raise rates at the fastest rate in history. Right. And CPI goes to 9.1%. And, you know, people figure out, oh, I can't buy a stock at an infinite multiple and expect it to work. <laughs> so, you know, so that, that kind of changed. If you think about this year, we went into this year with rates coming down. And the one thing you you know about the market is there's a reason they call it a Santa Claus rally or the January effect, which is the market, regardless of how negative people seem to be going into a new year, you get this burst of optimism, whether it's you know the, the Christmas feel goods or whatever, hmm. the market tends to rally and the stuff that's done the worst does the best. And so we're pretty cognizant of those trading patterns and the fact that inflation had started to drop from 9.1%. And so we adjusted the portfolio to that. And we started going into some of the names we really hated last year. So semiconductors is a good example of that, where for semis, unlike a lot of other areas of tech, if you think about demand, what we all do during the pandemic, we rushed out, bought smartphones, we bought PCs. And then when we all got to go out Again, when COVID went away, we stopped buying that. We started going to restaurants and going on vacation and all these other things. And so at least semiconductor demand was slowing down for a good year um, before this. And so we looked at some of the numbers and said, yeah, you know what? Some of these names might be actually kind of interesting. And so we own in Intel today. We own NVIDIA today. And in semis, I think some of the stuff is bottomed. And so we started some of the things we had been short, sectors like semiconductors, we started mm -hmm. to get long. And but we're a hedge fund, right? So we've got actually more shorts than longs on again um, today because the market has gone up a lot. It's gone up more than I would have expected, quite honestly. But that's also been very narrowly driven by about eight stocks, um, you know, the mega cap names, the FANG plus, you know, um, Microsoft and um, NVIDIA and Tesla. And that's really what's driven. And it's been very, very narrow. 
And I think you're going to start to see that change because we're coming into earnings season that starts in earnest next week for tech. Right. I think earnings are going to drive the next move in these stocks. Okay. So let's talk a little bit about uh, first, before we get, we're going to get to earnings in a moment, but I want to talk a little bit about the rate outlook, right? So part of, it seems like part of what's happened this year is a view that the, the Fed is either done, almost done, um, and beginning to contemplate um, reversing course and becoming more accommodative. You think the street is somewhat wrongheaded about what what they're anticipating on the on the rate front for the rest of the year. So talk a little bit about what you think the Fed does on rates uh, through the end of this year to next year. Sure. I think the Fed raises one more time. Um, and then I think they say we're going to pause and see how these rate hikes have affected the economy. Mm-hmm. But underneath all of this is the fact that you have one big thing that has changed, which is the world's most voracious consumer of commodities has been locked down for three years, and that's China. Mm-hmm. And China unlocked this year. Now, remember, in January, you had a big surge in COVID, so they didn't even really get to go- get going. But then that started to change, and you're starting to see it in some of the numbers that come out. So I think what you're going to see is commodity inflation actually after you know being one of the things that's helped bring down CPI from 9.1% down to about 5 that I think is going to hang in stronger than what we think. Mm-hmm. The other part of it is you've got still over 50% more job openings than you have people unemployed. That's going to keep wages strong. And wages is 55% of core PCE. So unless you end up with a really rough recession that takes away all those job openings, it's going to be hard to get inflation down to that 2%, which is the Fed's target. And so that's why I think the market, where if you look at the Fed futures, Mm -hmm. it's forecasting two rate cuts by the middle of December or another one by the end of January. I don't think you're going to get any rate cuts this year. And I think that's going to be a problem for the market because it's really been your perception of the Fed and monetary policy that's driven a lot of the moves in the multiple. And I think if you don't get that easing, it's going to be very hard for tech stocks to do well, especially if earnings come down. Because the the backdrop to all of this, which we haven't had to talk about in 40 years, is inflation is really high. Like 5% is way better than 9%. But 5% on CPI is still the highest in 40 years. Right. And multiples are high relative to where CPI is. And that's how I think the Fed ties into all this. Okay. So so in a sense, like, Let's so let's so as as you think about PEs, let's talk about the E part, right? So we're headed into earnings season, um, and in particular for tech earnings. So we've had some bank earnings uh, that have generally like the the big the big banks have actually done uh, pretty well. Um, mm-hmm. Big tech earnings might be a little bit different story. And those stocks, by the way, let's be clear: as you talk about you know a handful of stocks that have really driven the market here, large cap tech has been the place to be, right? All of them. Like without really any exceptions, yep. they've dramatically outperformed the market. So first question is why? Now, of course, some of them were down a lot last year, um, and there are some special cases. Like we can talk about like Meta, for example. Maybe we'll let's put that one aside for, uh, for the moment. But like, what is the general underlying driver that has pushed these stocks up so much, and then 
how does that impact what we're going to see in the next couple of weeks on earnings? Well, if you really think about ever since the global financial crisis, what's driven the market? It's been big cap tech. And what's helped drive that? Well, it's been low inflation and a Fed that's expanded its balance sheet from $900 billion before the Lehman Brothers global financial crisis to $9 trillion at its mm -hmm. peak. So anytime it looked like there was a spending slowdown, so think late 2018, as you probably remember, the S&P was almost down 20% right. in that fourth quarter, and the Fed had been raising rates, and they said, oh, just kidding, <laughs> and they started cutting again, and they started expanding the balance sheet. And they could get away with that because inflation was low. And the best stocks in an environment of low rates because they're long-duration stocks is tech. And by long-duration, it means... You know, 10 years from now, cash flow is going to be a lot higher. So if you discount it back at a much lower rate, then the present value of that stock is much greater. Well, if growth is going to be way less than what you're thinking 10 years from now and inflation's higher, so that discount rate is higher, then the present value of a tech stock is way lower. Right. And I think it's just going to take some time for people to adjust to the fact that inflation's not going back to below 2% anytime soon without a pretty rough recession, right. which, hit er which hits earnings. And if you look at earnings as a whole, S&P 500 earnings for 2023 mm -hmm. peaked at $252 in June of last year. Right. Estimates we're talking about. Estimates. Right. Now that estimate for 2023 has gone from 252 in June of last year to 219. And I think what you're going to see after earnings all get reported and companies forecasts get adjusted is it's going to continue to go lower. And by the end of the year, that number will be back at about 200. Now, by the way, during a normal recession, a 20% decline in forward estimates is pretty typical. So it's not like I'm making some draconian forecast for <laughs> right. where this ends up. Right. And then tied to that is, well, what's the multiple you pay for those earnings? Right. And if you look at 70 years of history, when CPI has been above 3%, and today it's obviously at five. But let's make the optimistic assumption it's at 3%. The trailing S&P multiple average is 15. Today the S&P is at 19. So even right. if you are optimistic, you're not getting paid to take the risk because valuations are still high and earnings are likely to go lower because I don't think there's any, there's not much debate right now mm -hmm. about whether we get a recession or not. Whereas earlier this year, there were a lot of people like, oh, there's going to be no landing or soft landing. And I think after what you saw with Silicon Valley Bank, which we haven't talked about yet, right. the odds go up tremendously that you're going to have a recession. Now you're just debating whether it's soft or hard. Right. So, so let's talk about the bank situation, because uh, we've talked about how if you had gone into the first quarter and I told you, like, hey, guess what's going to happen this quarter? Like. Um, we're going to have bank failures, including like the most important bank in Silicon Valley is going to fail. And, you know, and Credit Suisse is uh, going to have a crisis and have to be acquired. And um, so and, and I said, well, so how would you feel about the market uh, and particularly tech stocks, given the SVB situation? Um, what would you do? Well, probably you wouldn't have said, well, obviously, Big Cat Tech is going to rally 20% or more um, across the board. That is probably not what you would have forecast. And or even the broader rally in, that we've had in the market, given that situation. 
So why didn't it impact stock prices? Why hasn't well, that really been? I mean, some stock prices. Obviously, if you were a Silicon Valley bank, if you're SVB uh, financial holder, uh, you weren't. Uh, you didn't do too well on that stock. But why wasn't it a bigger issue for the market? Well, I'll pose you the same question slightly differently. Hey, Eric, we're going to have a global pandemic, <laughs> right? It's going to shut down the entire world. We're all going to worry about dying. Your first thought isn't, oh, let me rush out and buy socks. <laughs> yes. But that's exactly but not the stocks, but the, the, the riskiest, uh, least yes. profitable, uh, you know, far out on the horizon profitability stocks. Exactly. Because the S&P was up 16% in 2020. So right. what does 2020 have in common with March? Well, the Fed in 2020 expanded their balance sheet from 3.2 yeah. trillion to 7.4 trillion. What happened after Silicon Valley Bank? Well, the Fed expanded their balance sheet from 8.3 trillion to 8.7 trillion mm -hmm. in just a couple of weeks. So they literally undid five months worth of balance sheet tightening in two weeks. Now, what's interesting, though, which is why I think April actually ends up being a down month, and I think we may have seen the peak here, is that the Fed balance sheet has now started to shrink again. And so it's gone down about $100 billion over the last couple of weeks mm -hmm. because, you know, you've had those, you know, Silicon Valley Bank, Signature Bank both failing. You've had Credit Suisse with $1.1 trillion in assets and a shotgun marriage to UBS. But nothing else has happened so far, and inflation is still high. So the balance sheet has started to shrink again. And I think that's what the commonality is. And that's why March was up. But now you're going to go into earnings season and the Fed's balance sheet is starting to shrink again. You're going to get, I think, at least one more rate hike. Mm -hmm. And, you know, China is opening up. Commodity prices are firming up. I think you're going into a very, very difficult scenario. And you and I talked offline about Ericsson, but... You know, that's an example of what can happen where the quarter is fine. But in the outlook, they talked about business slowing down in North America and some spending getting pushed out and the stock's down about 8% or so. When right. I right. So just, just to, just to uh, underline that, right? They reported earnings basically this morning. This is the Lord Swedish communications equipment company. And it does seem to be weighing on other players, Nokia, a few others that are in this space. And what it looks like is that the carriers are just slowing down their spend here, right? Is that fair? Yeah. And, and, and it's all interrelated because if you think about back to COVID, you had to get online to stay in business. Right. So you had to buy capacity at Azure or Amazon Web Services or Google Cloud. If you weren't on the cloud, you had to get there quick. Internet traffic exploded because that's the only place you could do business. You had to increase capital spending on infrastructure, 5G, et cetera, which is what Ericsson does. And so you had to ramp all that up. Then we all get unlocked from COVID with the exception of China, and we all start traveling again. Right. And we start doing things and going to restaurants and movies, et cetera. And so then you don't need as much capacity. You've built up all of this capacity thinking these trends would continue. And then you figure out, well, you know what, guess what? People do like to go out and do things. Right. And then spending starts to slow down. And now with the bank failures, lending standards have gone way up, meaning that interest rates to lend have gone up. And then your qualifications to even get that loan has gone way up. 
right. then all of these startups that didn't have weren't making any money anyway. Now they're going to have a lot tougher time raising money from Silicon Valley Bank, obviously, <laughs> and their venture capital uh, partners. It's not as easy to get money from them. And so all of a sudden they're going to scrutinize expenses all over the board. Right. And all that extra capacity they bought during COVID, they're going to start to cut back on. So I'm very curious to see what the hyperscaler spending is. And that traffic obviously also relates to whatever goes wireless. And that's going to get cut back as well. And so all of these things are interrelated. And don't forget, financial services, those companies are the second biggest spender on IT spending. Out of right. the $4.4 trillion that was spent last year, about 11 12% is from the financial services sector. Those companies are trying to stay in business. They're not looking to spend a lot of money. They're looking to cut expenses. Right. Not to mention the tech companies that are the biggest spenders on tech. Right. That right. you've all seen these layoffs that get announced every day. Yeah. I think yeah. that's going to increase as they're looking to try to control their EPS and cut their SGNA and R&D and CapEx. Well, that's going to have the perverse impact of affecting spending across all of their right. customers that provide to them. Yeah, and I noticed that we've got we we got a previous clue here from uh, Infosys, the uh, Indian IT outsourcing firm, which reported pretty bad earnings uh, and gave a very cautious outlook. Uh, I guess like a week or so ago, the stock is down. Um, I don't know, almost twenty percent since that happened. Um, so we're already seeing signs of trouble, and uh, and then meanwhile, as you say. Uh, the hyperscalers, the large uh, cloud compute companies, which happen to be all attached to uh, three of the largest technology companies on earth, Amazon, Microsoft, and, and Alphabet, are all uh, about to report earnings. Um, last week, um, Amazon posted in the annual uh, Amazon CEO letter, a uh, tradition that started with Jeff Bezos back when the company was coming public and which Andy Jassy followed up on last week. And he, he had a lot of things to say in that letter. But one of the things he basically said was that spending was slowing down on the cloud. And um, that didn't really impact the stock very much. But it seems to me that was an ominous kind of ringing bell in the night moment that for whatever reason, investors chose to ignore just ahead of their earnings. So what do you think happens here in terms of, um, you know, those companies, Amazon Web Services, Microsoft Azure, Google Cloud, um, when they report results next week? Well, I think, you know, it's funny. I saw some of the analysts have buy ratings on Amazon and the notes that came out were, well, the letter talks about how he's really focused on expenses. So it's the classic case of if you're a bull, you're looking for something to hang your hat on. Right. And that's what they've hung their hat on, which is great. But I sort of read that letter and I and he says in there a couple of times growth is slowing. That's not by accident. Right. They're really going through their words. And Amazon stock has bounced a lot from its lows and every bull still keeps going. Well, you know, they built all this capacity and now they're going to cut expenses and they've already started laying off people. If you look at the layoffs, it's something like twenty seven thousand people. And Amazon has 1.5 million employees. It's 2% of their workforce. Right. Facebook has laid off 24% of their workforce. Right. This is not the same situation at, right. by any stretch of the imagination. And so I think when you get to them reporting, and don't forget, their retail business doesn't generate any of the profits of the company. Right. It's all, it's, it's all advertising. By the way, advertising is gets cut pretty hard during a recession. I think for Amazon, it's a little different because it's obviously high intent 
on their site. If you're on Amazon, mm-hmm. you're looking to buy something. I think their advertising will hold in better, but it will get impacted. Right. And then the biggest profit generator, which is Amazon Web Services, all of those startups are now scrutinizing how much capacity they really need. Right. And why do you use the cloud? Well, you have internal capacity typically, and the cloud is used for the excess capacity because you can ramp that up immediately, and then you can ramp it down when you don't need it. And so I think what you're going to see is that whether it's Azure, Amazon Web Services, or Google Cloud, estimates are going to go down even further mm-hmm. as you go, as you look forward in time, because don't forget, these bank failures just happened in March. And so all these companies are going to be adjusting to the tougher credit environment, et cetera, as you look forward. And so I think it's going to be a lot like Ericsson, where the quarter is probably fine, but the outlook now is going to be changed. Right. And that's where the issues are going to kick in. And none of these stocks are cheap. And that's part of the problem. At 19 times where the S&P is, if you look at where Microsoft is trading in the high 20s, and then you look at you know Google at 19 times, Amazon at 42 times, I mean, it's not like these stocks are a bargain. Right. And so yeah. if there's any issues, you're going to get punished pretty badly, I think, right. much like you're seeing with Emphasis earlier or Ericsson today. Well, of course, it might one of the interesting elements here is, is that um, the, the the street is very enthusiastic about their position in artificial intelligence, right? Like the, because of the relationship with OpenAI and because of some of the initial product introductions with Bing and integration with Office, and some of it's very uh, very impressive, uh, powerful, um, and should drive additional revenue. But because of all that, and because that's also not happening tomorrow, like it's. You know, Bing is not going to suddenly take like, you know, half the search market like tomorrow. Right. So that's all sort of on the come, maybe down the road. Right. Meanwhile, um, the near term, you have this near term problem where uh, not just cloud is not their only issue. They still have uh, strong ties to the PC market. PC sales are not have not been good. Um, uh, So it's kind of this, you know, the really long-term view might be positive, but the short-term outlook is going to be troubled. Well, and, and you can't have it both ways. If you look at Microsoft and Google both, they're both up about 20% year to date. Right. So if it's great for Microsoft, then by definition, that's probably going to be more problematic for Google. The other thing is the cost. And so I remember the chairman of Google came out and said, yeah, you know, a search term result coming out is a lot more expensive um, if you're using a chat GPT barred, you know, general AI to return that search result. And so there's the cost element as well. And what does that do to your margins? And obviously costs are going to go down over time like they do for everything in technology. But, you know, not everybody's going to win. And the thing to remember is these benefits are out in the future. Right. The cutbacks on Amazon Web Services, Azure, Google Cloud, those are immediate because the companies that are using that are seeing less business than they thought, or they're having uh, a tougher funding environment, so they're going to really have to scrutinize costs. So the benefits are in the future. The problems are today. That's a tough setup. And don't get me wrong. I love you know Amazon and Google and Microsoft on a longer term basis, but you're not getting paid to take that risk with where the multiples are relative to the market. 
And I think that's the thing, that's the last piece to the puzzle. And right now people are saying, well, the stocks are up, so clearly fundamentals are good. <laughs> and and that's not correct. It's like saying, that's oh, the it's like saying the pandemic fundamentals are great during the pandemic. No, it's the Fed's expanding their balance sheet. That's what's right. going on. Right. And you're gonna have to pay the price at some point. And we started paying that price last year. And so that's why for me, you know, we're long Facebook, but we're short names related to the cloud because I think Facebook's been, you know, they've, they've suffered from Apple changing their privacy, privacy policies, TikTok, et cetera. And they finally managed to turn some of the uh, AI algorithms to help with their advertising. But, you know, we trimmed some of that. We trimmed some NVIDIA on these huge rises. And we've also put some shorts in on names where we go, you know what, these are areas, these are companies where we think the numbers are going to get cut to try to hedge that risk out. And that's, you know, that's how we made money last year. Our longs didn't do great last year, obviously, right? right. Our shorts just outperformed. If you look at right. this year, it's sort of the similar thing where we're constantly adjusting our longs and shorts and going into earnings season, we think earnings really matter. And that's, you know, especially with multiples being pretty high because stocks have gone up despite earnings estimates going lower. I really don't like that setup in earnings. Okay, so uh, uh, we have lots of reader questions. I want to run a couple of a couple of them by you, and uh, some of these, like we should have been talking about anyway. So one reader uh, named Richard writes uh, about the uh, near-term outlook for Apple. Now, Apple is in a Apple stock has done very well this year. Um, the earnings are not likely to be very good, right? We're we're looking at uh, likely to see a, a, a down quarter year over year in revenue, um, and it it does. Kind of, you know, talk about not being a cheap stock. Like Apple uh, has a premium valuation here. How do you feel about Apple here? How worried are you that the stock is just overpriced? Well, I think that's the problem. It's overpriced because if you're bullish on the name, you have to look at it and say, well, it's trading at 27 times. The S&P is at 19 times. And revenue growth has slowed dramatically. And don't forget, their second biggest market is China. Right. Now, if you think about China, they've been locked up for three years. All they could do was be on their iPhone and be on their PCs. Now they can go out and do things. And if you think about what happened in the Europe and in the U.S., we went out, we started traveling, we started doing stuff, and iPhone sales you know, dropped dramatically. Right. And if you're a bull, you say, well, services, you know, all these people with iPhones, the install base is huge. They're going to buy a lot more services in the future. And what I would say is, well, if you're going into a recession, you're going to be scrutinizing your budgets and figuring out what do you really need and what don't you need. Right. And so I think, you know, Apple is is not a name that I would be that bullish on going into the rest of this year, because I think especially in China, you're going to see that demand really shift from people who can now go out and start doing stuff again. And you had a big upgrade cycle during COVID. And you don't need to rush out and buy a $1,000 you know, iPhone right. um, or a really expensive Mac. I think a lot of that's already happened. And that's why you saw, even though Q4 demand for PCs was terrible, Q1 demand, it looks like it got worse. And Apple, I saw the Mac forecast. Really I think, worse, yeah. yeah, they were down like, I think, 40% or something. Right. And you should go check that. But I'm pretty sure it was down about that much. 
yeah, that was year it. over year after surging to over 70% during the pandemic up year over year. Right. And, you know, there's going to be some give back. And don't forget, Apple's revenues in 2019 before the pandemic, I want to say three out of the four quarters, they were down year over year. Right. So well, you, have good, you have a good alternative now. You can earn 4% in an Apple uh, savings account. Well, exactly. And I, and I think, you know, that was one of my top picks coming into this year is today you can get 5.1% on a three-month treasury bill, risk-free. Right. You know, that's a good deal in this tape. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so um, let's talk about a few other things. So you mentioned in passing, uh, you mentioned um, uh, semiconductors. Uh, we have some questions about uh, your outlook uh, for both the SOX, which of course is like the broad uh, semiconductor index uh, play. But I also want to ask you specifically about Intel, which has been a stock that's really been beleaguered in many ways, right? They've been trying to change their business model, um, you know, from just being a pure microprocessor company to being a foundry. They've been hurt by, you know, as you mentioned, the PC demand has been kind of punk. But uh, but you see some you have you own some Intel and you 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 talked about having some reason for optimism there, at least in the near term. Talk a little bit about your view of Intel. Sure. I mean, we discussed it a little bit earlier in the sense of if you look at the PC market, it's gone from surging during the pandemic to now PC demand in Q1 was down about 30 percent year over year. Um, if you look at Intel, unlike an Apple, for example, Intel's valuation is about one point three times book value. And to put that in perspective, Micron, which has negative gross margins, let me reiterate, negative gross margins right. is trading at 1.4 times book. So Intel is probably one of the most hated names in, you know, large cap tech yes, out sure. there. But the one thing that happened, and I think people are forgetting this, is Intel made a horrible decision seven, eight years ago not to go to um, EUV. And so that enabled, and TSMC, meanwhile, which is the foundry for AMD, went to EUV very early. Right. EUV is a, is, a, is a technology for, uh, for chip production. Chip manufacturing. And, and Intel thought they were really smart and they could use exotic materials and other stuff to avoid paying 200 to 250 million bucks for each piece of EUV equipment. And right. then when Pat Gelsinger started, he said, look, that was a horrible decision. And two years ago, they went all in on EUV. And I think what you're seeing now is that that market share losses to AMD are starting to stabilize in desktop. I think you'll see that getting better in mobile and in servers. And don't forget, you do need, I mean, NVIDIA obviously is the biggest beneficiary of generative AI, but you do need more powerful microprocessors as well. And Intel stock is just absolutely hated. And the numbers have been coming down for two years. And I think the numbers are actually probably close enough now where they don't need to be cut again. Mm -hmm. And so the market's all about risk reward. And for us, looking at that valuation, looking at expectations, I mean, people still love AMD NVIDIA for good reason. But right. I think on a relative basis, Intel is starting to, go up to close that gap. And so we're long Intel, but we're short names in other portions of semiconductors. So I think smartphones... PCs, because they have been slowing down for a year, they're in the best shape. But if you look at communications, so the guys that supply chips into Ericsson, for example, oh, right. um, or you know, networking, enterprise spending, things like that, industrial, I think those are areas where you're now going to start to see estimates come down. And so I think the mixed signal analog stuff, I mean, you saw that with Semtech, I think, uh, earlier. 
Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's some risk and people aren't expecting that because they kind of look and they say, well, all right, you know, semiconductor revenues have really slowed down year over year. Yes, but that's been in specific end market focused areas, smartphones, PCs. It hasn't been in the broader stuff where the backlogs have been really long. And now what you're seeing is the economy slows and companies can meet that backlog. They're getting cancellations from their customers that double ordered. And that's starting at the end market level. And it's working its way all the way back. Um, Lumentum pre-announced negatively uh, recently. And, you know, that's part of what you're seeing, I think, is some of that backlog starting to get canceled as these companies can meet that demand because the end demand is starting to slow. And so it just works its way all the way back through the food chain. Right. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about NVIDIA. Right. So this is an interesting situation. Like they are viewed along with Microsoft as like the obvious play on um, on generative AI and they should clearly benefit. Right. They they their chips are used to train models and to run uh, uh, LLMs and like they're going to be a big beneficiary. They talked about it in their most recent quarter. Um, But gosh, this is a an expensive chip stock. If ever there was one, it's it is it is like the largest uh, the market cap uh, chip company uh, by good ways. I mean, you know, it wasn't that long ago that Intel had a larger market cap than Nvidia, and that is not true by a long ways now. So, how do you how do you balance both? What is still clearly a big opportunity for them, and not just there, but they're in some other uh, you know key markets too, and cloud computing generally and automotive like they there's a bunch of places where they're making real progress but wow it's an expensive stock for any category and for a semiconductor stock it's really expensive how do you how do you think about that well the good news for me is i'm a hedge fund so (laughs) to me i look at it on a relative basis and i go you know nvidia we've been trimming as it's been going up because you're right it's incredibly expensive but the good news is we still own it but we can look at other names in tech mm-hmm. that we go, all right, you know, whether it's related to hyperscaler spending, it's related to IT services. Um, you know, you, you, you brought up what happened with Emphasis. Don't forget Tata before that, another big Indian IT outsourcer. They talked about issues as well. Communications equipment. There's a lot of things we can short against our NVIDIA long. And so for us, we have more shorts on in the portfolio than we have longs because of going into earnings and because right. there is so much optimism around a lot of these names and you know much like whatever you're seeing in the move in ericsson or an emphasis before that or suntech before that you know if there's a disappointment and your stock's doing well god forbid and it's got a high multiple you could have a real problem when you report so Yes, the, the valuation for NVIDIA is scary because if there's some other problem that they come out and talk about right. where, yes, generative AI is great, but demand for gaming PCs is down or, yes, generative AI is great, but overall data center demand because we're some of the big data spenders, data center mm-hmm. spenders. It's right. it's Amazon, it's Google, it's Microsoft. Well, right. if your yeah. consumption's getting cut on Azure, Google Cloud, right. Amazon Web Services, you may be spending on generative AI, but cutting back on the capacity portion of your business. Right. So, you know, to your point, Eric, I agree in that it with the valuation up here, you need to be careful because if anything goes wrong, 
there's going to be a huge issue. But, you know, we still own it because from my perspective on a relative basis, I feel better about their position versus their customers, where the customers may be spending on generative AI, but cutting back on some other stuff. And so that's how, how I balanced it. But, you know, the day they report, depending on where NVIDIA stock is, I'm not sure if I'll own it, just given if the stock is still continuing to go up, the risk reward gets really bad. And I think that's the thing people have forgotten about over the last 13 years. Hmm. There's, you know, you just buy the debt. You don't care. Go into a global pandemic. Great. I should buy stocks. Well, buy the, years, yeah, great. I, I, I should buy stocks. Yeah. Buy the dip has been a fantastic strategy. It's great. Great. But the difference is you've got the highest inflation in 40 years and the Fed is now not your friend. Right. And they have to kill off inflation because they're trying to kill off inflation while politicians are trying to get themselves reelected. And so they're trying to hand out free money, which right. just stokes inflation. And those two things work against each other. And I think that's the backdrop that makes this more like the period before the global financial crisis versus the period afterwards where every anything bad that happened was an opportunity to buy stocks. Okay, so I want to want to end on um, on. Uh, we're, we're over time as is our general behavior. Uh, <laughs> and I do this all the time. <laughs> yeah. um, so, but but uh, but I see. Unlike CNBC, like we can keep going. Um, so, uh, so 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 one thing I do want to ask about is um, when we, if I go back to some of the interviews we did like late last year, um, you were talking about uh, seeing the S and P like the the downside risk to the S and P as low as three thousand on the S and P. And, you know, we're sitting today at, uh, let's see, I'm looking, you know, 4,100 and change, 4,150. Um, that's 3,000 feels a long way away. And I'm curious if you still think that we're going to get anywhere close to that um, at the worst levels before this all sort of washes out. Yeah, I mean, I think there's a good there's a good chance that happens, but it's going to take time, right? It's not going to happen overnight. And the way I think about it, it's very simple. I go, well, if I end up with a normal recession, earnings come down 20% from their peak. Mm -hmm. So 252, which was the peak for the S&P earnings in 2023, that goes down to about 200. If I assume CPI gets to 3%, mm -hmm. put the 70-year average on that of 15 times, mm -hmm. 15 times 200 in EPS gets me to 3,000. Right. So I do view that as the downside risk. And but it's not going to happen overnight. If you think about, you know, the tech bubble, when it broke, it took two and a half years for the market to find its bottom. Right. You know, it these things take some time to play out typically. And so the bank failures in March, you're not going to know what the full impact is until the end of the year. It's going to take some time for the tighter lending standards to affect businesses. And it just doesn't happen overnight. And so, yeah, I do worry about that. But I think if you get there, it's not going to be like it's going to happen during April. I think what will happen is people get to the end of the year. There's no rate cuts. By the way, don't forget the Fed discussion we just had where right. people have rates starting to get cut from the middle of the year. If you get into the back half of the year and rates aren't coming down because inflation's higher because China, you know, their consumers are spending now that they've been unlocked. It's a very different environment. But, you know, I'm not focused you're going to get these, you know, drops and increases and drops and increases. We have a great chart on DanNiles.com um, under the article section that your viewers um, or listeners should go to at some point, they get the chance because it shows what happened during the global financial crisis, which is, you know, the S&P had this fantastic 24% rally 
after TARP got passed for $700 billion, the Troubled Asset Relief Program, after okay. Lehman failed, after Washington Mutual failed, and the S&P rallied 24% in six weeks. And then earnings came around, and the balance sheet of the Fed started to shrink again. And then the market went down 28% over two months, starting on in, uh, January 6th. And so I think that's the risk is now you're back to the Fed shrinking the balance sheet. Earnings season is starting. I think the risk is of the downside after this nice rally we've seen coming into this. And so that 3000 target, I mean, I'm not focused on the target. I'm more focused on the path, which is if earnings are coming down and lending standards are tightening and the Fed is not going to be you know, easing, then the market's going lower and we'll find out how low it ultimately ends up. But I think, yeah, the risk reward, and we've talked about this, whether it's regards to NVIDIA or you pick your favorite tech stock, multiples right. are really high. And so you're not getting paid to take the risk after this great rally we've had from the lows. Okay. okay. Well, we're going to leave it there, um, as they say on TV. Um, thank you, Dan, for doing this, as always. Um, always a great conversation. Uh, we will revisit this with you uh, before too long, maybe after the season uh, winds down. Um, thanks to everyone for joining us today. Um, please join us again tomorrow. Uh, we'll have a uh, Market Watch special edition uh, for Financial Literacy Month. Tommy Kilgore, who's the Deputy Investing and Companies News Editor, will talk with Beth, uh, Beth Pinsker, financial planning columnist, about ways to start saving and putting money to work for you by investing in it. Thanks to all of you for being with us. Please join us again soon. Uh, be well. Stay safe. Thanks very much. The energy transition is a long and winding road, and it needs to be taken step by step. Learn more at SiemensEnergy.com.